Welcome to Hi Bob, the officially unofficial for all mankind podcast on Apple TV Plus. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking season three, episode three, all in. Aaron, how how in are you on this show? I'm I'm all the way in, baby. Nice. I'm going I'm going through the gulags for the show. <laughs> uh, I don't I don't care how many people get strangled right in front of me. You uh, and Margo. I, yep. <laughs> I love this episode. I because I, I think we both felt a little short change. Like oh, I don't know about this Sergey and uh, Margo thing, but I thought the pre the 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 cold open did a yeah. lot to kind of alleviate and kind of like uh, illustrate how this has kind of gone, you know, that like uh, Sergey has been left to play the patient game. And now that the screws and the fire, the screws are in him and the fires to his feet, the Russians are, are forcing his hand. Um, and, you know, I, I thought that was handled uh, really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the ascension of Aleda at NASA. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I don't like the Danny shit, but it's interesting, <laughs> and it's Ed doing very Ed things. Oh, totally, yeah. I love the scene of Kelly standing up to Ed and telling her she's true blue for NASA. Like I I just thought there was a lot to like about this episode, and mm-hmm. I love the way they handled the time jump. Like yeah. I was wondering, like okay, what's gonna I, I, I'm interested in seeing this kind of like Robert Zubrin's A Case for Mars brought to life uh, type of stuff. But like, isn't this going to feel really samey for like se- the season one people like, oh, getting to see all the astronaut candidate qualifications and all the testing and all that kind of stuff. Won't that feel like a retread? And they're just like, fuck all that shit. We're going we're gonna... to and the nature of a Mars mission where these launch optimum launch windows open only mm-hmm. open up every few years compresses everyone's mission into the same two week time and it's yeah. such a brilliant it's like like it, it, it's just a brilliant setup for a space race i love it what about you yeah you have almost a legitimate race right where they fire the gun and everybody's off at the same time and now it's just about who can get there first and or at all you know it's it's no guarantee that anybody's making it there so yeah it, i mean look i've seen the trailer i know somebody makes it there i've seen a boot on the ground at the end of season uh two but in 1995 so we know it's happening yeah yeah that's that's the thing so we are jumping ahead a lot of years this this episode spans 10 years right 1984 with margo yep. and sergey starting their relationship at the iac conference all the way mm-hmm. to 1994 when we launched the missions to mars i'm i was very impressed with how seamless that all felt uh same same as you said i i love some of the the emotional stuff going on here like one of the standout scenes in season two was kelly telling ed that she's not going to the naval academy right and that was just like crushing to ed and and ed like it it was kind of scary in the moment what he was going to do and they roll that back here in a way that is like so smart as a storyteller uh, because you're then in that mindset again of like when Kelly tells him, look, I'm staying, I'm going to NASA, not right. to Helios. You're like, oh, God, there's another opportunity for Ed to freak out. And he plays it like that, right? Like he's yeah. very disappointed. His face turns sour. He stands yeah. up, gives her the hug. And you're like, oh, man, Ed, you've changed, right? You, you've gotten it. And it's such a good moment for that entire family there. And it's funny because it's like, the same so he's learned a lot of lessons in his life and he's yeah. made a lot of self-improvement but a lot of those lessons that i think he learned with gordon in season two <laughs> are the wrong <laughs> lessons uh-huh. and 
he is so confident in the like all this boy needs is to get back into space. He needs an objective. He needs a mission. He just can't hear Danny's uh, the other Danny, Danielle Pools. Uh, yeah, very reasonable and reality based uh, quibbles with with Danny's performance, the other Danny's performance in the the space program. But you can see why he thinks that mm-hmm. it worked for Gordo. Uh, like it totally worked yeah. last season. He got Gordo. And it probably shouldn't have. Back like on I the remember horse. like. That was the thing I was thinking, like, you can't, like, just will yourself over, like, <laughs> mental trauma. But yeah. The thing is, is you, you, I guess you can, like, with the right set of motivation, the right person in the right circumstances can kind of, like, just through fucking effort and will and drive override some of those things. But it's, it's pretty exceptional. Well, and, and, and I, it, I think it seems- the scary part of that is, like, we don't get to see that long term with Cordo, right? He makes a sacrifice right. while he's up there. We don't get to see if that lasts or if that even devastates him even further, right? So, yes. it's a dangerous game. And maybe that's the show t- telling that, like, you know, uh, that worked out for Gordo. But did it work out because they ended up both dying on the exactly, surface of the moon? right? What being is heroes. Danny going to look like, you know, not, not being able to take this moment? Because it... It felt like the consequences were he was going to hit rock bottom and he was going to be honest with his wife and he was going to try to rebuild his life. Mm-hmm. But there's just so many from the NASA's clandestine way to sweep all this stuff under the rug to Ed when in his mission commander said, nope, you're going to experience consequences just making all those go away. Like we we just recently saw this with um we own the city right where this this cop is well on his way to being absolute corrupt shit bag of shit bags gets called in the carpet and then finds out there's act and he's he's scared like oh my mm-hmm. god this might this is going to fuck up my whole life and then he finds out there's no consequences i feel like danny's in a really dangerous place where he thought the world worked a certain way and now he's seeing that it doesn't and what's this going to look like when you've got this guy who's several screws loose mm-hmm. in his main assembly. What's it going to look like under the pressure cooker of a Mars situation? Yeah. Oh, there's a lot going on there. We haven't even talked about the, you know, uh, cheating element uh, with Karen and how that's all going to mm. factor into it. It's that's a whole nother can of worms. That, that's a very complicated situation. I'm eager to see the resolution too. Uh, yeah. Like it's like Oedipus with a twist. What's going on with him and Ed? <laughs> Oedipus. Oedipus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, the, the other thing that's really interesting me here is Daniel. Is it Daniel Iessa? Is it another fucking Daniel? It's Dev. 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 Iessa. Okay. Um, it, he continues to confound my expectations for him. Uh, that right? scene where he agrees to retool the entire cockpit and command structure of this thing just because Ed isn't happy with it is wild to me. And I don't I don't and, know if it's wild and like, oh, I don't believe it. This is a character that's gone, you know, wrong in the writing process. Or if this is just a character I'm not used to seeing um, or a side of uh, a person that I'm not used to seeing or a person I don't think exists. I don't know. I don't know. Because uh, it makes you wonder, like, what is the things in his life that he won't flex on? Right. You know, if he'll throw out like a like, oh, you know, we've got a list, a short list of commanders. Oh, Ed Baldwin's there. We're going to because like they perfectly set up that like we knew Ed was going to go ape shit when he found out that this was going to be a Maytag man, fully automated mission. And he knew he was going mm. to say all those things. And when he did, like and he's like, I've made I was fully ready to like, oh, my God, he's going to throw Ed off of this mission. And what's that going to yeah. look like? And he just completely 180 on it. Uh, 
Yeah, I don't. I, I, but there's got to be at some point he's going to get fed up with all these compromises of his vision because he wants a poet on Mars. Right. Like, I don't right. even know if that's a terrible idea. If you got like 24 people, put one artist poet that can. Right. You know, spark the human human imagination to be there to kind of like chronicle it. A bard of the party, uh-huh. you know, it's going to give them plus five so all their will saves and constitution <laughs> checks. When like, yeah, I I, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. Like, maybe you haven't thought this through, Ed. Have you thought about the bard angle? Uh, <laughs> it, I mean, that's probably going to be a bit of a compromise, right? Like, okay, we are going to send the bard with you, but we're but also going to retool everything so you are in command. You can control yes. the ship if you need to. Yes. And, and I think Ed will take that deal, certainly. But yeah, continues to confound my expectations. We'll see if that stays true or if that changes over the course of the season. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's the big one. I, we, I definitely have questions about what you think is going on with Margot and the Russians or the Soviets, but mm. we'll get there. We can talk about that in, in uh, situ in this episode. I, I think it's about time we got over to the recap. What do you think? All systems go ready for main main uh, recap insertion burn. Here are the highlights coming up this week on Bald Move. All new Pulp and Prestige this week. On Tuesday, we'll cover the latest episode of The Walking Dead, The Ones Who Live on Pulp. And on Thursday, we'll catch up with the latest Samurai subterfuge on FX Hulu's Shogun. Then on our House of the Dragon feed, Anthony puts on his Maester's class on Monday. And then on Thursday, Steve joins him for Electric Bookaloo as they continue their discussion of George R. R. Martin's A Clash of Kings. Find these and many of our other great podcasts by searching for Bald Move Pulp or Prestige in your favorite podcast app. Rick, how you doing, buddy? You, you don't know what it's like out there. Hey, man, do do you even know what it's like out there? No, not really. I've been mostly kind of flying around in helicopters, carving likenesses of Michonne in the cell phones, that kind of thing. What is it like out there? Oh, well, I think it's time to find out, man. Last I saw your wife, Michonne, was out uh, following a giant wagon train. That, that sounds pretty weird, but it seems like a family-friendly outfit. I mean, she's got RJ and Judah with her, right? Um, actually, she kind of left them to be raised by Negan and Daryl. Well, crap. Hold on, let me get my boots. All right, well, Rick is getting ready. Aaron and I are, too. We're preparing to once again recommission The Watching Dead out of mothball status to find out what's going on with Rick and Michonne, The Ones Who Live. The six-part miniseries premieres Sunday, February 25th on AMC, and we'll be ready with our full episodic coverage each Tuesday. And afterwards, who knows? Maybe we'll check out Dead City. Find our coverage for The Ones Who Live by searching for The Watching Dead or Bald Move Pulp wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, we start off with Margot and Sergey bonding over the years uh, from 1984 to 1991 at the various IAC conventions that happen. Uh, it culminates in them almost hooking up, but their flirting is interrupted and Margot decides not to go through with it. Uh, seven years of flirting, man, that is that is hard to get. That is... Slowest uh, of burns, yes. the bluest of balls. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yep. I... 
It, it is, but it's like, you know, uh, it's like this really slow motion, will they, won't they. I thought it was fun to see them age in real time. Yeah, you know, quote yeah. Unquote. Her hair just that gets shorter really cool. and shorter and shorter. <laughs> yeah, and his hair gets goner and goner and... <laughs> you know making it up with facial hair i i that's that's a that's a move you can make i i've i've heard other successful men have made that transition to, sure sure some of them you know yeah. just transition the hair on 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 the top to the bottom um and there's like all the things that kind of like you know maybe he makes the move in 1985 but oh she mentioned she has to get up early so mm-hmm. i can't do it then and Maybe like the, the the way their ships just keep passing on the night. Like it looks like something's going to happen. 91, they're holding hands. And then one of their, it seems like maybe uh, uh, either Chinese or Japanese uh, compatriots uh, or hell, maybe he just works for the EU or America. I don't fucking know. Uh, like, like gets on right as they're approaching. So they would be seen getting off at the same. It, it's everything just kind of keeps getting in the way. Um, and I, I love just like how hard of a target here Margot is, you know, like it, I'm, I'm picturing Bill in her position. If some attractive uh, scientist was was trying to seduce him in order to get information, I mean, it would have worked for first night of the first convention. 1984, they'd have oh, yeah. nuclear drive technology, right? It would just happen. Right. But Margot, yeah, yeah, yeah. man, she's she's cautious in everything. And I think that's part of what makes her a good mission control. Uh Administrator, I, I, what is the name? Mission controller, I think is just launch what flight director, flight director, is that yes. official, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, that's that's part of what makes her very good at her job, and it's it's boy taking down these walls uh, for Sergey is quite the job. It's a job of a lifetime, pretty much. And I think it goes both ways because, like, up until the hotel scene room, I was like, does Sergey have any game whatsoever? Like it really feels like he doesn't. Yeah. He's like a you know Jack Lemon when it comes to closing. He just can't get it done, man. No matter how many steak knives are are up for grabs. But once he does get underway, it seemed like he had was going somewhere. But it's like it's the other thing is like this. Watching this a second time, uh, which I did this morning when I was taking my notes and getting all my my thoughts together. This plays almost incredibly sadly. It feels like because there's sure. the element of that spring trap slowly closing in and without I think either of them knowing it um, although I guess Sergei did from them the, he knew that the the Russian state had ideas for Margot oh yeah uh, they come and, to him and was last collecting Coppermott yeah yeah uh-huh. last season uh, that's the thing I, I can imagine like <laughs> what is it what do the Soviets say when he comes back from the IAC and they're like report on your progress and he mm-hmm. He tells him, yeah, I flirted a little bit. It didn't go anywhere. Uh-huh. I missed her in the elevator. Just, you know, she had to get up early. I brushed <laughs> fingertips with her there, comrade. Right. <laughs> What's the thing? Like, describe it. And and he describes, like, <laughs> I, I gave her a look. They're like, yeah. And? <laughs> It was significant. Like it was over sushi. You don't understand. <laughs> right. And then in the next year, he comes back and does it again. Seven years is a long time, but we'll see. But he is, that's smart. the thing is like, I guess he is what we're not seeing. And I wish kind of we did like, wish I understood the scope, uh, understood the scope of their cooperation. Mm-hmm. Because it seems like uh, they had one rule, which is no military applications. It's like, you know, something to kind of help in the, 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 the life and safety of the crew and the cosmonauts, things like that, but nothing military. Yeah. Uh, and, and but but I kind of wish I had a context, but I guess I don't need it. You know, they mentioned some stuff that they'd helped on, like, you know, throttle valves and things like that. And we know 
she helped him avoid seven probably cosmonauts exploding because of their solid booster rocket problem that that they ended up fixing in this timeline um yeah so they have an exchanging info it's just they not have the, the stuff that they really want yeah yeah all right then we go to margo um it's it's 1991 again 1992 again 92. Uh, 92, yep. Margo decides that NASA is going to launch their Mars mission in 1994, just like Helios and just like the Soviets, um, as, as we'll see here in a bit. Her team seems to think it's doable, though not ideal. Uh, Bill's the voice of dissent because this pre-supply mission they have, like if you've seen the Martian, this is, this is all the stuff they need once they get there. Uh, it's not going to be ready in time, but Aleda comes up with this idea to use a slingshot maneuver uh, to get the mission uh, launched outside of the window they thought they had. Um, basically, it, it lets them fire a rocket into a different trajectory that will get it there on time. It's like, you know, uh, when Google Maps tells you you can take the country roads and get there in an hour, or you could take the interstate, even though it's technically a couple miles longer, but you're going to get there in 45 minutes. Yeah. It's the same like you, Venus, if you you know your my very energetic mother just served us nine. I just She serves us nine because the pickles got, got <laughs> voted off the solar system. Uh, uh-huh. Venus is in the opposite direction of Mars. But in certain alignments, so you can, you know, swing past that big gravitational booty, get a get a boost off of it and, and get there faster, even though you're traveling longer in space. Yeah. Also, this uh, I was excited because like th- this is essentially the Robert Zubrin uh, plan. This is if, if you've read his book, A Case for Mars. And if you're a space fan, I highly recommend it. It's almost as readable as The Martian. It's not that exciting, but it's very conversational and. He outlines the technology. The idea is uh, you are going to send automated science lab type experiments. So you're going to land the HAB, you're going to land the rovers, and you're going to land various science lab that's going to convert raw materials on Mars, specifically carbon dioxide and water vapor, into methane for return rockets to drinkable water and a variety of other things. So all you're sending... With the crew capsule is essentially the clothes on their back and the food and and other supplies that they need just to survive the trip there. Mm. Everything else and the, the brilliant part of that plan is you can you can observe all this and you know how many gallons of water you got. You don't have yeah. to launch until the astronauts have everything there. Everything's past set. So all you got to do is get them to Mars. Well, that's um, risky. The approach that Zubrin decried, which was the popular thing in the mid 90s of NASA, was what he called the Battlestar Galactica plan, which is what we see Helios doing, which is a massive starship with everything you need to get there, to survive the trip, to get there and to perhaps come back. And you see the difference at the end of this episode. Mm -hmm. NASA's launching what looks like a skiff. And Phoenix is this massive fucking thing. It's a space station yeah. with twice with with half again as much tonnage to just get it there. So the only difference is the Zubrin is also decried going to the moon as a way station because he's like, that's kind of a waste of time. And, you you know, it's actually more Delta V to get to the moon and then to Mars than the launch from a low Earth orbit. But. You know, he was also writing this book in the 90s where we didn't have a moon base. If you had a moon base right, that's right. developed, you probably it was a lot. That, that So, like, I was thrilled and and uh, to, to see all these different approaches. And I think there was one other thing, which is the one big rocket approach, 
which it looks like the Russians are doing. Oh, are they? Okay. Where they're just one massive rocket lifting everything they need into a single stage to orbit and then and head. So it's cool yeah. seeing all three of these approaches as Zubrin laid out in the 90s uh, coming to life on this television show. And if you want spoilers, probably for the season, check out A Case for Mars. <laughs> yeah, someone over there is a fan, I'm sure. I guess they've updated. I, I just I was looking on uh, Amazon. He updated it in 2011. Uh, I kind of want to get that and read it again because it's uh, if you want if you if you're excited about Mars colonization, it's a great book to read. All right, uh, like I said, the Soviet Union follows suit to launch in 1994, and we see Ellen on television debating Bill Clinton on the issue. She is uh, pro moving up the timeline. Clinton, I think, is against it. And it makes sense that she would be pro uh, NASA, right? She has faith in these people. She worked with them. Yeah, and I thought some like you know, obviously he's uh, he's having words put in his mouth, literally. Uh, but it's like it's a weak defense of uh, rob- I, robbing money from the space budget, especially in this uh, timeline where NASA is contributing more to the national budget than they're getting in funding because of all the technological boosts. Um, and, you know, it's just like, yeah, in a world where like NASA is essentially solving the climate crisis with their technology, mm-hmm. hard to say that they could they, they shouldn't get funded, even on something as boondoggly as a, as a trip to Mars. Uh, I will say as a little behind the scenes sort of thing here, we have screener copies of this and putting words in Bill Clinton's mouth, I thought didn't work out so well. But then I noticed and I'm glad they did this because it wasn't lining up with his mouth. Um, right. And in the corner, they put temporary visual effects. So they let me know. Sometimes I, I get that on the screeners. Oh, Sometimes I don't. De- they haven't completely deep faked them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I was very appreciative that they told me that. Otherwise, I would be here complaining like, oh, that what a piss yeah. poor job we, they did on that. But no, it's fine. Yeah, It'll be we, good. we have to. I think it's at some point be starting to be aware because like it's yeah. happened to us enough times. Like you're going to have to. <laughs> I don't know how much they'd appreciate as bad. Yeah. So, but, but it's also nice that they'd actually say that these are exactly effects. Right. Yeah. yeah. All right. Helios has converted Karen's Polaris hotel into the Phoenix and IS is giving the editor, uh, Ed's impressed by the mobile hab solution. Karen's a little traumatized by the events as they walk past the elevator where Sam died. Um, I, I had a, my, I had a, the first time I saw it, it's like, wouldn't it be funny if they're like still cutting <laughs> Sam out of the wreckage or walking by there's this desiccated corpse, uh-huh. and, you know? <laughs> uh, so Ed is extra impressed when they show him the updated technology and honestly, the spaciousness of the Phoenix's cockpit. Uh, Iessa asks who Ed wants on his team and he says, oh, he's got a long list, three pilots, two engineers, navigator, all with experience. And Iessa's like, well, this thing is automatically controlled, so you don't even need a flight crew. You just need you and mm-hmm. you're not going to have any control. It's just going to milk milk run you there. Ed is not happy about that um, or that, you know, Iessa wants to fill the extra slots, the would be flight crew with poets and artists and stuff like that. Um Definitely, definitely not help, happy about all of that. And he tells ISSO and the dude just says, all right, all right, I'll change everything uh, about the architecture of this room, about our systems. Uh, you can have control. Wild. 
Yeah, um, there's some exciting things. He mentions these mobile hab units. I think if I track the conversation that they've replaced the hotel rooms that kind of ring the ring with yeah. these what he described as mobile hab units. I think they're going to be like RVs that can independently land on the Mar- Mars surface and then like scoot around, like use yeah. retro, you know, uh, retro thr- uh, thrusters to kind of go. And he's explaining that like what they're going to make up for and probably NASA's probably got more intelligence about where stuff is because of their previous exploratory missions and their satellites totally. and all that kind of stuff. We're going to and and also we're not going to have all the stuff we need. Uh, it sounds like, but you're going to have the ability that once you get there, you can fly wherever you want to take advantage of the opportunities on the ground. Well, that seems really cool. I, I don't, I don't know exactly if I have enough information about their plan. Do they do a pre, a pre mission to to load stuff so. onto Mars? I think they're just going all at once. They're they're that's why they have the fucking Ark, you know, the Noah's Ark. Uh, in space it's just so big that they're going to take everything they need and but it, it sounds like even then they don't have everything they need because else why would they care about water yeah so are they sending a post landing mission to like say well we're gonna we're gonna supply you with enough water and stuff to live up there until we can get a mission to you with the machines to make it or no i think they're counting on finding water on mars oh. they just don't know where it's at and then and like like nasa had Ooh. to bet everything on jonestown being yeah, yeah. that you know because they didn't whereas <laughs> this thing's gonna be not mobile. jonestown although i can yeah, see I keep on i keep on calling it jonestown probably because i'm sitting here across from jim jones but uh-huh. it's jamestown not jonestown i think i did that a bunch in the first two podcasts <laughs> Uh, I, yeah, I think I think that they just kind of the flexibility to fly potentially halfway across a planet to wherever the water is. Or the other thing is, God. like, I wonder if they'll claim j- jump kind of like the way the Russians sure. did, except mm-hmm. for they can kind of just roll up with like six different habs. And, you know. Yeah, we'll just borrow this, you know, and then pay the fines or whatever that come along with that. Sure. And that could be <laughs> and like interesting. Yeah. Yeah, especially since I feel like this episode and throughout the other episodes has been a friendly rivalry. Uh-huh. You know, like, oh, you know, Kelly's like, oh, you watch out, old man, I'm coming after you. And Danny's like, oh, I'm going to gimp your knee and you're going to be sorry. And the even, you know, Margot and, and Sergey kind of I that's going to turn into cutthroat competition as they get closer to Mars. I, I as, mean, it's it's life or death up there, right? It's not on Earth. Yeah. Like everybody can be happy and share things on Earth, but up there if there's only enough water for one team and you have three teams one yeah. team is going to get that water the belters and the expanse would say that's the opposite way to look at it you should like as as life is more critical you should work closer together but we've seen how things but, went on mars right now you've got you already had the the russians talking about capitalist swine can't take over the I think it's going to be and there's also going to be like I could see NASA getting there first but in a very spartan way mm-hmm. And then they have, you know, Dev AS's uh, Phoenix crew just flying in their RVs with Wolfgang Puck MREs and taking advantage of all their explore and, and like living it up, essentially. I, and, and what kind of stresses and then God knows what the condition the Soviets will get there. And you asked earlier, um, you know, what is the hard line that ISO won't compromise on? Right. And he does have an, uh, an ethos, uh, an idea, a philosophy of colonization of Mars, right? He yeah. professed it to Karen last episode. He basically said, look, I I want to get there so it won't be this squabble over territory, this war that erupts on Mars because the US and the, the Soviets can't get along. It, it, does he at some point draw that hard line and get involved in some kind of war to, you know, a war to keep 
keep war from yeah. breaking out on Mars, right? Like exactly. It's it's so obviously like wrongheaded, but I could see someone with a deeply held belief like that getting involved in ways that they didn't expect. Yeah, it's like it's kind of shades of like the Vietnam era. We had the we had to destroy the village to save the village, you know, right. like to, to protect the open <laughs> frontier of Mars. We have to assault the open frontier of Mars. Yeah, yeah, and also like. What kind of we- like we saw what kind of shit show this happened in the first season or two? Are are they gonna are they gonna take weapons to Mars? Surely the so, Americans and so, Soviets will. Yes, yeah. Um, and Dev, as a smart guy, you'd think you would know that. And I think if he, if the Soviets and the Americans were launching in '96 like they had planned, he might not take them. But right, because he would have uncontested skies. Yeah. Right, but now he'd kind of be a fool not to. You would, because like I said, everyone said they weren't going to, and on the moon, mm-hmm. and they did. Now I don't know if there's been an, a, a follow-on uh, peace treaty. Where they've like, you know, because they div- divvied up the moon and they divvied up the American continents and all that kind of stuff. I-, I wonder if there's something. But on the other hand, like what keeps them from breaking it? And also, I noticed that the mm-hmm. Chinese weren't ever a mention. Um, I-, I wonder if that that will be a yeah. wild card later on that, like maybe Russian and Americans can learn to play nice. But the Chinese are the ones going to bring. Ru- but I don't know. Like I said, it was America that that militarized the moon first. It turns out in mm-hmm. the first two seasons. We'll see. Yeah. All right, Daniel and Danny, the the double Dan's here, uh, simulate their Mars landing and they crash. Uh, mostly because Danny's distracted by something, which he claims is that Amber will, you know, is buying a house and he's getting deeper in this relationship. But actually, there is a lot more on his mind. Oh God, this guy's mind is just a fucking kaleidoscope <laughs> of noise and yeah. Uh, Especially he like, sees a statue I, of his parents, thing. right? Mm. Any one thing yep. being in a marriage that you're not sure about and it's happening so fast, like, oh, we're getting to a house and oh, we're going to have kids. And and you, you may you later get a better idea of who Amber is. And she kind of wants to mm-hmm. be this 50s housewife. Uh, yep. But and then he's got like, yeah, I like that scene of him walking out past this, the, the picture of Gordo and Trace and, uh, you know, like that kind of. That, that's like you losing your parents, but also like such a huge set of shoes to fill when it comes to space right. travel and space flight. You know, like they're literal national heroes. Yeah, um, like uh, like um, Karen tells Aleda later this episode, right? Do you want to be Margot's girl forever? Um, right. He he feels like he's Gordo's boy, right? Like there's probably nothing he can ever do other than maybe be the second man on Mars that would ever even begin to offset the things that his parents have done. So there's just a lot, a lot going on. Uh, And then, yeah, he's also got this uh, Oedipus complex with uh, Ed and Karen. Mm -hmm. Um, But I like how Danny, uh, Danielle Poole plays this as just very concerned with Danny, the man, you know, like I'm, I'm worried about you. And instead of like, putting his feet to the fire she's like why don't you take the day off and go home to your new wife and relax a little bit which doesn't work because he doesn't take the advice (laughs) right no i really like danielle she seems the most uh with it in 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 all ways right i mean she's a great uh shit commander um she Mm -hmm. is really in tune with people's emotions and where they are and their state of minds and she gives them the space to deal with that stuff or wants to at least uh yeah she's she seems great all around and then it's just outside forces keep stymieing her agreed 
All right, Kelly is welcomed at NASA by Danielle, and she asks Danielle if she can go to Mars with the NASA mission rather than the Helios mission for several reasons. Uh, A, she doesn't want to be on a mission with her father, and she also likes the science angle of the NASA missions. So she manages to talk Danielle into it by claiming that her research makes her the best person for the job of, I guess, finding the first signs of extraterrestrial life. Yeah, I've... um Antarctica is actually a pretty good analog for Mars in Makes terms of, of its dryness, in terms of its cold, um, and in terms of its relatively barren lifelessness. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, like, and, and it makes me wonder because we're like, why did she get sidelined in Antarctica if she's brand new at NASA and like she apparently had gone into space? And it feels like this is a really savvy play that she's like, you know what? I can keep doing stuff and be well short of the seniority required to get on that first flight, or I can stay on Earth and like craft this specific niche of finding life in the lifeless place on Earth and demonstrating competence at it so I can roll into somebody's office in a couple of years and be like, I'm doing the mission mm-hmm. that you are at. And it's and it, and it works. It works. Yeah, I have uh, her, to imagine a lot of the other people in her field are probably not trained astronauts, right? <laughs> right. And the so. ones that are, like she says, are going to be like generic botanists, generic, like, yo, it's like, oh, yeah, anybody, anybody can mark Watney. Anybody yeah. can grow <laughs> potatoes in a shit bucket. <laughs> uh-huh. But I have expertise, maybe the only one that's space qualified in the whole world of finding these light, and that's what's going to make the mission. And I, I wonder what kind of artistic license Robert Moore or I'm sorry, Ronald Moore feels about making a stand on whether Mars has life on it or not. Uh, I don't know. I guess we'll see. Yeah, because like that would be that would be a huge fork in the road if they find some kind of oh, microbial yeah. life or something on Mars. Uh, and I could see that having like crazy, crazy implications for not just philosophically and you know, otherwise, but like, you know, uh, in, in terms of genetics and in terms of like life here on Earth. Sure. All right. Uh, we go over to Danny drinking at the outpost when a woman at the bar flirts with him and then he sees Karen walk in and decides he's going to leave with this woman. I, I had hope that Karen seeing Karen would scare him straight like no. I need to get. But now it sends oh. him further into the danger zone. Yeah, I mean, it looks like he's trying to fulfill desires uh, through proxies here. It's it's not going to work, Danny. Come on. No. There's a Karen, for whatever fucking reason, <laughs> kid, there's a Karen-shaped hole in your heart and pelvis. And yep. uh, <laughs> it's funny because, like, I felt like, uh, well, I'll, talk, I'll wait to talk about that in another scene. I did like okay. the uh, the fact that here in the mid-90s, girls picking up a dashing astronaut, buying him drinks, and that's a very unusual thing, and it's chalked mm-hmm. up to, like, equal rights, baby. Yeah. No, that is a good line. Uh, all right, Karen is also at the outpost here, obviously. She asks Aleda to leave NASA and join Helios, and she tries to tempt her with more money, better benefits, and stock options. She also claims, look, there's less hierarchical bullshit over at Helios too. Um, unfortunately for Karen, Aleda is too loyal to Margot to accept the offer for, for basically making her career, you know, and, and not even just her career, but her life in a lot of ways. Yeah. It's, it's another one where she kind of echoes what uh, Kelly says. There is something about working for NASA that probably for 
at least I'm talking our times and another generation or two is going to be just a little bit more prestigious and a little bit more. I don't know, like it's got the cloak of nationalism and patriotism and like working for your country and, and being mm-hmm. selfless. And the fact that as we she she, you know, um, goes on and later in the episode that she comes from dirt poverty in Mexico and all these things like is, is kind of like a miraculous thing that she's surrounded. And yes, she has to work hard and maybe she's not appreciated, but she got to go to the fucking moon and that where she plopped out the moon rock and be like. Margot's faith in me is not just a one-time thing and a one-time investment. She fights for me and all these other things. And because yeah. um, the reason, you know, she could work in Helios till the cows go home. She'd probably never go to Mars, never go to the moon, but she was able to. I didn't, and I, like I said, I think that loyalty is a little bit foolhardy and misplaced, but I'm not a 30, you know, 30 something Mexican immigrant that set foot on the moon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, came came from basically nothing. Yeah, it's it's. It, I don't know. Like, I'm interested to see where this goes. I think, yeah, as far as like the reputation of NASA in our future, I think like as I, I think the, the the mask is slipping from from the face of corporations, right? And as mm-hmm. as the reputation of corporations takes more and more of a hit, NASA's reputation has nowhere to go but up. And I think, yeah, you could see it being more. Uh, you know, far less lucrative. It's always going to be more lucrative to work for a uh, private organization, almost certainly. Um, yeah. But, you know, as far as the respect you get for doing what you do, uh, NASA could become an institution that is very well respected universally uh, above any anything like a SpaceX or a, I don't know, dick ship thing. Well, I mean, the only reason like SpaceX and these guys are getting as much buzz as they're doing is because NASA's essentially stepped back from human spaceflight. Right. Like right. they've made it clear. I mean, I know that they they make rumblings about going back to the moon and doing a Mars mission, but they're I mean, shit, they've been saying that ever since George H.W. Bush that they're going to. And like, I'm a little jaded about that, but like private <laughs> yeah. money, the hell they might get it done uh, in this in this retro alternate past where NASA never has, and has continued to pioneer and has an ongoing enterprise on the moon. Like I imagine mm-hmm. there, it's a lot more attractive to take that pay cut and work for the hard chargers with the big budgets and the nation behind them than it is some kind of tech upstart. Yeah. Yeah, I would think so. Uh, here's the thing. I'm not sure that it's more prestigious or easier to do. Is it really easier to work in this bar than it is at her house? Like I know there's chaos going on at her house with the kid and the uh, her her two dads, but like, it, really in a bar? I don't know. I don't her know. kid seems pretty disruptive, and yeah. her dad seems pretty disruptive. And I mean, that's that's the thing about this play is I'm all for it, but like clearly Victor has misgivings. You wonder if uh, you know Late is going to have to sacrifice family to some extent mm-hmm. to some uh, the, to to maintain this uh, kind of altruism she's got the true blue nasa thing cuz man her yeah. dad i i've been saying it from the, the the jump but this episode puts it right there uh, point blank yep. center and we got a 2 year time jump that shit doesn't usually get better over time mm-hmm. so uh, she's having ever more responsibilities at nasa ever more time commitments and she's leaving her husband there to babysit two kids two and a, or one and a half kid uh, so Danny and the woman that he left the bar with are trying to have sex in a pool, but Danny drops his ring in and he's got to dive down after it. And when he surfaces, the cops are there busting him for swimming in somebody else's pool. It's not his pool anymore. This is uh, his parents' old house. 
by the way. I, I recognize this pool from yeah, Bordeaux me too. <laughs> scuba diving at the bottom. Like, I thought he got, they just talked about him getting a new house. I'm like, well, maybe his brother lives there. And then when the, 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 the lights go on underwater. Oh, yeah, uh-huh. this is what's going to happen. Uh, the cop realize he's gonna he's gonna arrest him, but he realizes that he's Gordo's son and decides not to. Uh, and here is where you know I I think part of what's annoying Danny is those big shoes to fill. Like you said, he's he's just seen as Gordo's boy, you know, the kid of the hero. And like the fact that he's uh, maybe you didn't know this before, but it turns out the local cops have like a long-standing agreement with NASA to kind of like sweep all this bullshit under. You know, these these hard drinking, hard charging yeah. test pilots that, you know, like to fuck women that aren't their wives, but have them like they they got a whole system set up to maintain that behavior and excuse mm-hmm. it. Uh, and and I, it's I, not enabling. It's enabling is what it is. Yeah. And I like this next scene with Danielle because she's not not a part of that. Right. She's like the tail end of what I think is that system. Um Yeah. If Ed picks him up here, there's absolutely no consequences right. whatsoever. But right. Danielle, as the mission commander, is even though there's not, I'm going to, I'm going to inflict consequences on you. You're taking yourself uh-huh. off a of flight ready status and having to work your way back before you get onto the Mars trip. But, but I'm not saying in, anything to anybody, right? I'm not going to let the cops right. arrest you. I'm not going to tell right. your wife none of that stuff. So she's still it's playing a little you. bit of that game. It's just, you know, she's leaning more toward the future here. Um, yeah. And if Ed hadn't come in with the Mars offer, who knows? Because she's not saying you can't go into Mars. She's saying you need to take yourself off flight status and work your way back into the air and then mate. I mean, right, I don't know. Right. With this compressed schedule, it probably he probably understands that uh-huh. That's accepting it. this is all but taking me off of the mission for sure. But I think so. And I'm trying to figure out. So, so this scene with Danielle where she tells him all that stuff um, and takes him off the Mars mission. I I'm trying to figure out how much of this is Danny sort of getting sick of the special treatment that he's getting because of his hero parents. And, but there's also this other thing in the mix, right? Which is Karen and he's not getting the one thing that he wants. So that's probably extra frustrating. It's like, Oh, I can, I can live my life with no consequences elsewhere, but I can't get this other thing that I want. And so my hero status only goes so far. Right. Yeah. It's got to be also like I said, there's multiple layers of shit that this kid's going through. Any one of which would be, like I said, I, I, I don't feel much sympathy for Danny, but like, it's definitely there because boy, you look at the way he was, you know, raised and you look at the, what's happened to his parents and what happened to him in his space program. And it's, uh, it's tough. It's tough. All right, Alita's husband is disappointed she didn't talk with him before she turned down the Helios offer, and they argue about that, and it eventually turns into a conversation about her father's deteriorating mental health, and she's very much in denial. She doesn't want to hear it. We've seen this scene so many times with the man that has a busy career, ignore blowing sure. off his his, their, their, his wife's concerns about the kids and about the old man and about the parents and a living situation. It's kind of, it's, it's interesting to see it from the other because it's the exact same conversation. Yeah. You know, no, I, I well, love some of the, the gender reversal uh, role reversal mm-hmm. stuff they're doing. Like with uh, Molly, they did a lot of that stuff too. Yep. And her husband. Uh, they're also doing a little bit of, uh, you know, we are not from this country. We're not white people. We don't do the thing where we dump our, our, our old folks off at homes and we don't let other people raise our kids. And he's like, mm-hmm. 
that's easy for you to say because you're not here. And mm-hmm. then when she says, I, I thought it's completely unconvincing when she says, I've never seen anything like my dad. <laughs> when we know that's a lie. Right. But him, instead of attacking that, just being like, well, maybe it's because you're not around. Because uh, there's some scary yeah. shit. Him wandering off with the kid and getting lost on the way back. Bad things can happen there. Leaving burners on. Uh, getting into maybe potential fights with the neighbors because he's getting paranoid about them. Like, these are bad things for an elderly person with dementia and probably is going to need full-time care sooner rather than later. And I'm, I'm wondering, because it feels like all this is going to boil over in the middle of the Mars mission, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. I mean, they're setting up for a massive meltdown in one respect or another with Danny and Ed and Karen all in the mix. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Speaking of, of Ed, Danielle tells him that hiring Danny is a mistake. Ed doesn't agree, and he decides to announce the newest team member to the rest of the team. Well, I think we skipped over a bunch of things. Uh, we, we skipped oh, over seeing oh, Danny they, and his wife. Yeah, Amber preparing a, a meal when Danny comes home, and he's going to tell her about what happened um, and losing his job and all that. But before he does, Ed calls, offers him a job on the flight crew, the Phoenix, and then we get the scene where Danielle says, that's a bad idea. Do you get it? Do you get? I mean, I, to me, I got a clear picture of why Danny likes Amber. She seems like oh, Karen yeah. 2.0. She's like in the middle of the 90s. <laughs> okay. She is that uh-huh. classic 1950s housewife who is just homemaking. She is setting yeah. a table for her man. She's got a roast in the oven. That's time for when he gets home from work. She's wearing her apron. I mean, it's it's like fucking Betty Draper. Season one, Betty Draper. It's amazing. Yeah. And that is who Karen was when he's growing up. And he is just trying to remake this mommy figure for himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, have I mentioned <laughs> have I mentioned how gorgeous everyone in this show is to a yes. person? Because Amber, geez, come on. <laughs> Except for Danny. And Danny might be a perfectly fine guy, but the way they got him made, he's a little American psycho. Okay. I, a I think it's, it's all acting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. A little, little like he's just like wound a little tight or maybe backwards and raw. I don't know. I don't know. It's little, little uh, like what if Joffrey had grown up like a uh, kind of little Homelander and the dead eyes. I don't know. There's like, there's this all Jesus. kinds of like flashing red lights in this kid's, this what's going on in this kid's uh, head, man. And ah. it's, it's, it's uh, coming out, coming out on the face. <laughs> uh, here, here's the thing that I don't understand about Danny. Why is he willing to go to another planet with the man whose ex-wife he is in love with it and slept with while they were married? That is a <sighs> recipe for disaster, kid. You can tell he thinks it's like, here's the thing that's so frustrating is he's about to do the right thing, the scary thing uh-huh. and let like take Dan- Danielle's advice and level with his wife. Maybe not tell her the whole truth, but come forward about like what's happening with me and NASA and what and, yeah. and how this is the same as when I got in the wreck and all this other you, you, uh, 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 all this other stuff. And then Ed calls and is like, yeah, damn shame about the way NASA treats his employees. Why don't you? And, and leans really heavily on the let's get the Baldwin Stevens band back together. Just be like a Paul. I, I, and on Danny's face, you can see that this is all a bad idea. And he's seeing the like, oh, God, I'm going to be cooped up with Karen's ex-husband. And maybe they've gotten back together. And but then he looks at his wife and she's just like ready to worship this guy. And. You know the relief that the the Mars thing's back on is is palpable with him. Yeah, he gives him it out, seem, right? Right, right. And and Danny's uh, willing to take that because he's kind of looking for it. 
One of the big, I think, potential losses, of course, I haven't seen episode four, even though we have advanced copies, we're, we're watching them along with you. Like, you know, uh, we're not watching ahead of our recording. Um, one of the th- potential losses of, of the two year time jump is I would love to see what Danny was like in the program. I would love to see like how him and Ed as his uh, commanding officer got along. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to see any of that. No, uh, it doesn't seem like there's any bad blood when they're taken off to Mars. Like Ed seems very satisfied with himself. But like, mm-hmm. how did this kid get it together? Or was it? really drunken sloshy gordo ed behavior that or i guess ed or gordo gordo was always the one that was more of the wild man and and ed uh-huh. just is like so quick to plug danny into his gordo slot that he just excuses it all and sees it as normal yeah yeah it's it's wild um but like i said i think it's all going to spin apart eventually for drama's sake yeah yeah FX is adapting James Clavell's best-selling novel, Shogun, into a 10-part miniseries this spring. Set in the shogunate period of Japan at the turn of the 15th century, Shogun depicts the rise of a feudal lord to Shogun, as seen through the eyes of a shipwrecked English sailor. It's loosely based on the real-life exploits of William Adams and Tokugawa Ieyasu. Shogun has already been successfully adapted back in 1980 with a widely acclaimed miniseries starring Richard Chamberlain featuring intricate plots, political scheming, complex characters, and thrilling action. This time, husband and wife team Justin Marks and Rachel Kondo try to recapture the successes of the novel and early adaptations while increasing the levels of historical and cultural accuracy that are often perceived as flaws of this and similar works. Starring Hiroyuki Sanada from The Last Samurai, Mortal Kombat, and John Wick 4, with Cosmo Jarvis of Peaky Blinders, Raised by Wolves, etc., joining the truly massive cast required to bring this complex world to life. Join Aaron and I each week as we deep dive into each episode, uncovering the mysteries, the intrigue, and the glory of Shogun. Shogun premieres on FX Hulu Tuesday, February 27th at the two-part debut. Our podcast will release each Thursday thereafter. Get our Shogun coverage by searching for Bald Move Prestige in your favorite podcast app. All right, we go to the IAC convention, 1992's IAC convention, where IS is getting all the attention, which Margo and Sergey are not super happy about. Uh, Margo invites Sergey up to her room for a nightcap, and things get physical at her very specific request, but Sergey can't go through with it, turns out. He says the problem is work, and he needs um, her to give him some of NASA's uh, technology again, this time the engine design, which is nuclear uh, which will definitely be used as a weapon. So she refuses. Sergey apologizes, and then somebody knocks on her door. Ominous knocking. Um, you know what's I weird like the, in this room? It's what's that? Does is Margo one of those freaks who goes to a convention, unpacks her suitcase into the drawers for a weekend trip? Do you know anybody who fully unpacks and puts away everything? Because this room is spotless. There's no clothes. There's no nothing. Is this because she I knew? I prefer to do that. Uh, what? I prefer. What? Unless it's an overnight trip. Like, I'm just sleeping. Like, I do like to get my shit out and put it into the drawers and put stuff away. Yeah. All right. Maybe this is like a four or five day conference. Then maybe. <laughs> but come on, a weekend. Or maybe I'm just a freak like Margo. I'm a jazz playing, <laughs> clo- clothes unpacking. T- suitcase tidy and freak right yeah 
Uh, what do you think of this scene? <laughs> I like how she takes the bull by the horns and she's like, I'm not taking any chances. I'm inviting this man up to my room with a bottle of alcohol and things are going to happen. And when he's balking and kind of like, you know, I'm going to stand up and demand him kiss me. And I was actually impressed because this man showed a complete lack of game to get here. But mm-hmm. it was a surprisingly, I think it's exactly what Margo was wanting from a seduction by her Russian suitor. Um, <laughs> you, can, you can have your seduction. But then he stops. Fast, I, I thought, <laughs> effective, right. or uh, what's the, what's the third? What's the third it's one here? Containing compromise, <laughs> compromise. Sure, sure. But you you can only pick two, right? Yeah, pick two. I and and the thing is, so so then I started realizing, well, the, the guy's lack of games probably because he's kind of going this half-hearted. Like he wants it, sure, but he knows this is going to further complicate things with her, and that this is going to, yeah, you know, even probably more than he even knew. Like I don't know if he knew he's going to get choked up. Uh, you know, uh, I think he has an idea. Non, the way he erotic asphyxiation kind of way, <laughs> right? But the way he tells her, like, look, uh, there are enormous pressures on me, right? I, I, I think he knows. He's fully aware of the consequences if this doesn't work out. Well, and I, I like how he starts off collegially and like kind of like you know, be like I, I've got you know, you really helped me out to like he's essentially yeah. begging and pleading, and then when that fails, the ominous knock. Yep. And, and you realize, oh, shit, they had this bug, right? Knew. Yeah. You knew. You knew exactly. You could hear the spring trap finally swing shut. Yep. That's a great scene. Uh, then we go over to Kelly meeting with her parents at the outpost for their, their spaghetti dinner. That's back, baby. Uh, they invite her out to Helios, but she says, I've decided to take the job at NASA. Her parents are obviously disappointed for themselves, but happy for her. And I love Ed putting Parmesan on his spaghetti. Holy Dude, shit. I did. I was still does the it. same thing. The yep. same cheese, freeze-dried shit. He takes the lid off so he can dump uh-huh. the maximum amount. He's not going to sit there and shake it for 60 seconds. He's going to no. dump. And Karen uh, notices, too. She's just like, oh, my God, he's still doing that. <laughs> isn't it interesting how this felt like the old outpost? Like, it's almost uh-huh. like... Yeah, I mean, sure, the outpost has been Chuck E. Cheesified, but like you get the right amount of people and the right spirit. It, may, it really makes me think better about my my observation that Ed's not wanting to say hi, Bob, was less about this still feeling like the old outpost and more about his personal feelings about what had just happened to him. Yeah. And kind of being shitty to Danielle. Although, Dan, Daniel, for her perspective, she seems like she's trying to put all this behind her. The whole, we haven't talked about it, but uh, this whole episode, she's made several statements about. Oh, you know, when Kelly was there, it's like, oh, you and you, my, and your, you mean your, me and your dad will be fine. We've been through a lot. It's like, you know, we'll, we'll, I don't know about that. Uh, especially as, yeah. as race really heats up. Yeah. We'll know. see how Ed, they interact on Mars. Ed has a maniacal gear that I don't think that Danielle mm-hmm. has necessarily. And I'm, that's not a compliment. It's right. It's just, uh, so yeah. yeah I mean, I mean, uh, the guy who was ready to, to fire at the Soviet fire weapons at the Soviets uh, spacecraft last season. And the woman who refused an order to stand down so she could shake hands with shake them, a Russian's hand. Right? Yeah. They're pretty diametrically opposed as far as their yeah, world. They views. get to the same result. They just came from completely uh-huh. different uh, paths to get there. Yeah. Uh, I, I love this. I like Kelly, you know, as you can tell that she had her dad's like anger and stubbornness in mind because she's kind of stealing herself to deal with that. But saying like, look, I love to fly. Mm-hmm. I love flying with you. I love flying because of you. You've yeah. given me all these things. 
but I also love NASA and I need to do my, I kind of need to step out and, and spread my own wings to fly and him, you know, the way he handled it. Cause like, I think he's even being sly. He knew what to think. And like, instead yep. of like dressing her down, he's going to show her the ultimate respect of looking her in the eye and being like, this, our country's going to be real proud of you, kid. I got mm-hmm. choked up. I thought yeah. that was Ed, Ed learning things in a positive way rather than yes. negatively, as we've seen throughout this episode. For sure. All right, the Soviets sit down with Margot and pressure her to give up the NASA engine design. They threaten her with being labeled a spy, which doesn't work. So then they threaten to kill Sergei and tell her to think about it, giving her a card with a number to call when she makes up her mind. The next morning, Margot heads back to NASA where she gets right back to work. Yeah, this is, uh, they referenced the Sergei Korolev, uh, Korolev who hmm. is kind of like the the Russian Werner von Braun, uh, the father of their rocket program. And hmm. apparently what they're saying is like early in his career, pre-World War II, he got caught up in some kind of political scandal and got sent to the gulag where he suffered terrible health pro- problems, ended up missing half of his teeth, sustained damage that would later cause him to have a heart attack in the middle of the moon race. And one of the things that, probably caused the, the the Russians to to fall behind because hmm. there was like a, a talented engineer right underneath him ready to take over. But he instantly got into a uh, a pissing match with the other guy who kind of hated his Korolev all of his life. Um, it, it's interesting because like I read it and it's like this this Russians using this as an example of like the way that Russia can break people no matter what, because if they if you got prince, if you don't have principles, they'll take advantage of that. If you have principles, they'll take advantage of your loved ones and apply pressure. But ultimately, it's self-defeating because they killed their Von Braun in like his middle, like his late 50s, early 60s. And it was all. Uh, uh, problems based on his his the, the brutal treatment that he got in the, the gulag. In fact, that they tried to intubate him mm-hmm. to save his life at the last on the operating table, and his jaw was so fucked up from all the abuse he'd taken, they couldn't get the in, they couldn't in, intubate him fast enough, and he essentially drowned in his own blood. Jeez. Uh, it's, it's 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 like I said, I, I this is it's it's one of the things like where like I think it works without knowing all the references, but it's also kind of ominous from a Russian perspective that they're trying to, you know, get ahead in this way. Um, gotcha. Yeah. The thing I took out of it is, look, we're willing to torture our heroes this way. What do you think we'll do to a foreigner? This is also true. However, yeah. Margot touches down in the United States. The first thing she does is go to direct. The, the, the first thing she should have done is go to the director of the FBI and confess. Yeah. Like yeah. she's, she's, she's in a Roman Catholic booth and just tell everything that's happened because. Mm-hmm. And then she can be the counters, the counter operative, right? Like I, th- right. that's the thing they can, they can try and turn Sergey and, and make maybe twist this they to their maybe- advantage and she can cut a deal with him. But going down this path, Sergey's going to die no matter what. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I, there's no fucking way. And she might, like, end her career in disgrace because I, I think she's right. Like, she, these Russians had nothing on her. She's like, I've, like, I've done nothing mm-hmm. but to help in the further of humanities of thing in the flight. And I haven't done this and I haven't done that. And they only have Sergey they can use against her. And I, I understand if you're in that position. But, like, man, it just never seems like succumbing to blackmail is the way to go. Right. Like, it's just at best delaying the inevitable and Mm -hmm. most times making the inevitable far, far worse. But, you know, I agree. 
and and they leave it ambiguous because we flash forward two years and we don't know exactly what happens. But any guesses? Uh, I don't know. I kind of want to talk about it in the final scene because we do get okay. one last All shot right. of I her. Want it. Um, you're right. You're right. Yeah. I mean, the best she could probably do here is is control the message. You know, like okay, if I'm going to be outed for being a quote unquote spy, then let me at least control that message a little bit um, and play it to to my advantage as much as possible but who knows what she does she clearly doesn't go directly to the fbi she goes directly to work and she's just so cool like uh, uh, those Uh, whole scene she could have an ice cube in her mouth that would not have melted because like even when they're like garroting sergey she's kind of like hey stop jesus stop Mm -hmm. this is a lot but she's not like hysterical or overcome with emotion uh, she's just really like cool as a cucumber, man. And when she gets back thing. to work, I couldn't tell a difference in her demeanor. No, I don't think anyone. Maybe could. I guess like because the, the next scene is the scene with Bill. Uh huh. Do we want to? Yeah. Uh, so Bill is waiting in her office when she gets back, admiring her pictures. He tells her, "I'm going to take the job at Helios that I was offered." Margot only re- only says goodbye to him after he leaves the office. Uh, says goodbye to the air. Um. And then she considers the Russian proposition. Yeah, for Captain Piss Pants Peanut PP, uh, this is a, a, a <laughs> really good exit. Interview. He's trying to do the right thing. Yeah, yeah. And who can blame him? He's been he's devoted his uh, most of his life to NASA, and we will get to the other side of this with Aleda. But like, how much of this is Margot just being Margot, and how much of this is her being preoccupied? with the Russian defection kind of business, because I could see her pulling this. Even if she had come back from the IAC conference, freshly laid, uh, uh you know, the, 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 <laughs> with, with, with new comradeship, uh, cause, cause, cause she's kind of, I could, yeah, I just could see her doing it. She's that type of person. Sure. Yeah. I, I like I said, I don't think this is out of the ordinary for her. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then then Bill packs up his office as he tells Aleda how life affirming the Helios job offer was for him personally. Tells Aleda she'll be a great flight director, and then says goodbye to her. And there is so much backstory in this relationship. I, yeah, you know, similar um, to what he talks about with the Margot hazing, right? Like he kind of hazed her when she showed up for the first time, and he was shitty to her. Um, and she was shitty back, like in a probably back, a, yeah. a disproportionate response kind of way. And that was one of my favorite scenes last season is them coming to terms with each other um, and getting over that and getting on the same page. And yeah, it's it's it feels real good, real uh, fuzzy here in this scene. Yeah, um, I liked it and like the fact I, I really appreciated Bill like you know wanting to feel like I feel like an old shoe I feel like a new shoe like uh, Karen said I'm a git she listed all my comp- accomplishments and she called me a git like uh, that probably more than anything is what motivates Bill like the fact that he feels like he's like that that uh, the Harambe uh, uh-huh. esprit de corps that he got over there and like the fact that uh I don't care. And also feels like a, a, a person that knows exactly what to say to yeah. get the people she needs. And the only one she's really failed at so far is, uh, well, I guess Kelly, but, uh, uh Aleda. Mm-hmm. 
and the fact that she calls him peanut at the end and there's no heat behind it. It's just affection. Uh, and then they're, they're trash talking like almost mm-hmm. every one of these goodbyes ends in trash talking, which again, <laughs> uh-huh. I'm, 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 this has got to be foreshadowing the real, the real heat that's going to come later in the season. Yeah. And I, I thought they were foreshadowing even more, but I'm not so sure. So Aleda works later her job while Soundgarden plays us out to a mostly empty mission control. And I thought this was going to be the end of the episode. I thought they were saying, look, they've poached so much of NASA's talent. Yep. How are they ever going to get to the, to Mars in 1994? But then the, the episode doesn't end. And two years later in 1994, all three Mars missions are launching simultaneously. Uh, the U, the now U.S. President Ellen calls Margot to congratulate her on a successful launch and encourage her to kick the other mission's asses. Uh, that's the end of the episode. And it's like a knife twister. You should be proud. We've been working together for this a long time. And and Mar- and I'm assuming Margot has c- compromised with the Russians and given them okay. the... Yeah, I... That's or what she I could, Or she be, could be regretting letting Sergei die. I... It's tough to tell in her expression, right? Because she is like that. So the Russians were able to get the Russians able to kill off Sergey and still get the space with the fusion working fusion drive. Uh, Yeah, that's interesting. Hmm. That's Hmm. where I think it's like, I don't see how both of those things happen. You're right. Oh, Margot, what do you do? Unless Margot (laughs) did the thing where she's going to be a double agent. That would be super interesting, too. Yes. And they're keeping us. They're keeping it from us. But boy, Um, would the Americans be willing to risk giving the Soviets nuclear technology, nuclear secrets in order to keep her as a double agent? Is is there a chance that there'll be some space piracy? Like the Russians know they can't catch, but like if they get at the right time, the right launch window, they can like catch up to one of these and like commandeer it. <laughs> oh Jesus! So they like, don't. They're gonna have go for. They're tech. gonna go for un, their unsustained burn. Like they're gonna. They're uh-huh. gonna like use up all their propellant just to catch one of these and take it over by force. Space I, piracy. Maybe. I mean, they all launch at the exact same time. Yeah. I suppose it's possible. I, I, I look, I don't think I don't think there's a very good <laughs> chance of that happening. It would be a super yeah. interesting thing. And it'd be a third path between the ones we've we've been pre- presenting um, for sure. Boy, it's it's exciting to see all three of these things launch off. You got the Battlestar Galactica approach. You got the Zubrin's like small crew capsule catching up to all the stuff that's already there on uh, Mars. And then you've got the Soviets fucking giant rocket single stage looking like something from the Cosmodrome and Destiny, the game. Uh, what a cool looking rocket, man. I I think this I, I think the Russian rockets are so oh, yeah, cool the looking. Russians. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know something that there's something about them that look a little bit more art deco futuristic than, you know, NASA's big just just regular old stack. Uh, yeah, I mean, I do really love the 2001 esque look of the, the Helios platform, but Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah yeah I could see it yeah I, I'm really interested to see what kind of tech we have on Mars because I've seen a little bit of it in the trailer um, and I assume that you know NASA is going to have upgraded tech but also ISA is going to have probably some of the best tech on Mars right best of breed like it might not yeah. be cutting edge like something maybe that this like I don't I don't think he's got a nuclear engine he's got these these big uh you know, methane rockets, but yeah, whatever he's got commercially available. Oh, really? Cause I thought breed. he, I thought he had developed uh, a lot of fusion technology. 
Oh, I guess that's true. Right, he's using fusion engines. I guess he I'm could sure. adapt that. Huh. He that talks was, about his, me- his pioneering methane rockets, though. Um, or, he's, oh, got new, for he's, he's got a nuclear... methane, or no? That's helium. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, because like I was like, if he had the if he had the nuclear reactor, I don't know why you fuck around with those massive uh, engines with these massive propellant things. You'd do the the NASA approach and just have a. Because that's the thing. Yeah. Like Danny's incredible. It's like it's just like a little VTOL craft that takes off. Like, how many crew do you think uh-huh. is on a NASA mission? Uh, a handful, like uh, maybe a dozen. I don't know. I was thinking a dozen. I'm probably uh-huh. something more like six or seven compared to like. Tw- I think I think they said the Helios is planning on taking twenty four. Yep. And who da- like again? Who the hell knows what the Russians going to take? Yeah, I wonder if it's going to be if the war for Mars is going to be one with manpower. You know, I like that they continued to treat the Russians as they're like a black box you have no idea what they're going to what they're going to their shit's yeah. going to look like how it's going to behave until you actually get there and start coming into contact with them because we just have no visibility into them they just sent monkeys. a little bit there are no humans on their <laughs> ships <laughs> russian monkeys uh-huh. uh no i i but i do like that because like we got a little bit yes last year with Sergey, but like we still didn't get a lot and it's they're very mysterious like that's a big ass rocket what do they've got on mars now Mm-hmm. What are they going to do? Are they, are they going to engage in space piracy? We'll see. The other big questions, you know, is how Danny ever made it through mission prep with Karen and Ed in very close proximity the entire time. Uh, Dude, we skip all I that, like you said, same. but eh, maybe for the best. Who knows? Maybe Karen's just fucking him, fucking him for the mission. Sure. Yeah. Why so. not? Got, they got their own room on the old Polaris and one of the mobile apps just set up out. with a red yeah. light, a sex swing. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> what do you need yeah. a sex swing? You can just you go up to the, the hub and do zero G. That's true. You wouldn't need a sex swing. Windows in space. to the walls. You stuff, need sex man. anchors in space, honestly. You do. You yeah. need sex Velcro. Uh, <laughs> something, something to get to get some purchase, some mag boots. You need to, you need to mm-hmm. can't take your mag boots off. You gotta gotta keep your mag boots on when you're having <laughs> when you're having sex in space. Uh, that's it for the episode. Any other thoughts before we get out of here? I'm curious about. I would like to know more about the practicality of the Phoenix because mm-hmm. that spinning ring is not doing much when they are thrusting towards Mars. Like, nope. are they going to do like could one still big give you impulse? gravity though that. You know, it could, but it's a different type of spin gravity, you know, than spin yeah. gravity. So, and I don't think they have enough repel. So, like, are they going to do like one big impulse and then kind of coast to Mars and then do, and you know, like, what does it does the hab ring transition between those two periods of time? Like, how does that work? And probably won't get those details, but uh, yeah. I, I was I was curious about how this because man, I I'm with you. That Phoenix thing looks fucking cool. Mm-hmm. It looks exactly like the spaceship I thought we'd have by 2020. Yeah, you know. That will do it for this week's episode. Uh, we recorded, I think, episode two and three in advance, which means uh, we don't have any feedback to go off of. So we probably will have just a mega omega, mega alpha and omega uh, uh, feedback episode when uh, we, we get back to recording, which will be the week of the June 27th. So if you don't hear any feedback, don't get antsy. It's just uh, we're going to have a big old buildup of it uh, when we get back. But please keep sending it. We got a lot so far. People seem to be jazzed about the the new episodes, the new mission. F-A-M, FAM, stands, of course, for For All Mankind, at Bald Move. F-A-M, FAM, at BaldMove.com is how you send us feedback. And I am really looking forward to plowing into it when we get back. Uh, but 
until then, I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Jim. We'll see you next week.